If I confess my sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I hope you all have your cartoon. Have you looked at the cartoon? The cartoon is essential. Okay, this is, some of you may remember Kyler Black when Kyler was here. And Kyler and I are working together, hopefully, on a book of his cartoons and theological reflections on them. But anyway, just keep that cartoon in mind. This past Monday, I made a phone call to the church offices here just to speak with Ginny so that I was sure that what I had to say this morning would coordinate with liturgical practice here at St. Stephen's. And I wanted to know, had you indeed done the Great Litany on the first Sunday of Lent, and were you doing the penitential order on all successive Sundays? She assured me that you were, and so here goes. Let's just, as uh, we would have heard on radio a long time ago, return to those thrilling days of yesteryear and the great litany of two weeks ago. You all remember the great litany, that long penitential offering that is said or sung or chanted Sometimes, as at this service, certainly in procession and winds around the church, up and down the aisles when architecture permits it and seems to go on forever and, which most importantly, reminds me that what I might like to view as my own little peccadillos, inconsequential and easily dismissed mistakes, are really sins that threaten to separate me from God. Indeed, unless I repent, as we just heard Jesus say twice in the Gospel, I will perish. The great litany, that extended call for deliverance. Now, I don't know about you, but that long call can make one yearn, if you're sitting in the congregation, for the shorter, more antiseptic version of the general confession, or makes us think of, oh, if I could just easily erase my sins with the Photoshop application to my computer. Just click the button. Especially if I didn't have to concentrate on the old version of the confession, which says, the burden of my sins is intolerable. Because you see, after all, in today's culture, we are taught 
that our sins, if indeed any do exist at all, they are certainly not intolerable and easily managed. I don't have to worry about whether I have sinned against God's divine majesty. And any suggestion that your sins or mine might provoke God's wrath and indignation can be easily dismissed. I don't remember which Niebuhr, Reinhold, or Reginald said this back in the 20s, but in looking at the church of the 1920s, he said, a God without wrath has brought men without sin into a church without judgment through a Christ without a cross. And the one other danger, and I was talking with Justino after the 8 o'clock service about this, and it is an especial danger here at St. Stephen's because your choir is so excellent. And your cantors, I love to listen to hear him sing the great litany. And if I can enjoy the performance, I can forget all those things that are being talked about in it. The power of those words to call me individually to repentance. Good Lord, deliver me. Now, I don't know how many of those observations have applied to any of you. They have to me, but perhaps not. But one of the things that I believe each of us must face each Lent and around the year is the fact of the powerful hold that sin can exert on each of us. We need to grasp as truth and appropriate with urgency what St. John tells us in his first letter. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And the great litany and the penitential order are not merely a series of droning choruses and responses and too often repeated phrases from the scriptures to try and tweak your memories. They're not just Burt Lancaster playing Elmer Gantry in C.S. Lewis's uh, novel, Elmer Gantry, a revivalist. Love is the morning and the evening star, says Elmer Gantry, to get our attention. It's not Jonathan Edwards, and I don't know if kids in high school still read Jonathan Edwards as part of the sinners in, an, in the hands of an angry God, fire and brimstone piece of early American literature. But the services, as part of the liturgy or separate from them, are incorporated to act as a reminder for you and for me of the need to have new and contrite hearts, pulverized 
hearts so that we can appropriate for ourselves the message of the cross, which, as St. Paul reminds us, is the power of God. For Jesus, the command that you and I repent lest we perish is not just some sort of an updated version continuing his cousin John the Baptist's message of repentance, but a demand that we renounce our private sins. And as one fine biblical scholar pointed out, you and I are in danger of turning, if we don't repent, in a headlong flight away from God's mercy. Now, one of the things that I believe that each of us needs to ask is whether those great words of petition and intercession are empty of meaning. Do I really want God to deliver me from everlasting damnation? After all, we all said it together two weeks ago and added it on, good Lord, deliver us. Or anyone else, for that matter. If indeed I even bothered to believe in everlasting damnation. Do I really want to be free from blindness of heart and pride and vanity, from envy, hatred, and malice? Really? Or do I merely allow, allow those words to wash over me without any kind of penetration at all so that my responses have no substance, just part of the service? Better yet, do I sit at my computer and move around my little mouse till I get to Photoshop, hit the clicker, and get rid of my sins all by myself? Or can I respond with fervor, good Lord, deliver me? Because I know that Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do I dare to claim this prayer as my own and acknowledge that it is God's call to me to partake in the drama of salvation. And just in case that I might be looking for a way out, and believe me, clergy look for ways out. My wife was with me two weeks ago on Tuesday. We've joined a little bitty prayer group at the church we worship at on Long Island. My old home church, St. Peter's Bay Shore, we have a bishop in residence there permanently. So we're praying with the bishop, and he turns to me and he says, John, how would you like to read the great litany this morning? This is on a Tuesday. 
Now, there's a little rubric in the prayer book addressed to the people who pray the daily office of morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer. And that little rubric says, the great litany is to be read in place of the noonday office on Wednesdays and Fridays every week in Lent. And here's the bishop asking me to read it on Tuesday. So I looked at him and I said, Bishop, does that mean I don't have to read it tomorrow? And he looked at me and smiled and didn't say a word, as if you ought to know better than to ask that question. So now it's three times a week for this clergyman. But it forces me, because I turn all the plurals into singulars, to confront my sins. And then I ask the Lord for mercy. Because that cry is my response to him and his love on the cross and a refusal on my part to just allow those penitential words to waft over me like a wisp of smoke and leave me an empty, graceless vessel, ripe for being overcome by evil. St. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that this cross toward which you and I must journey ultimately is foolishness if we're merely dead in our sins. But for those of us who believe, believe that we're being saved, for those of us who can pray with certainty, certainty, good Lord, deliver me, our petitions of human need become the occasion for the power of God to manifest itself in our lives. Now just think of the climate in the world today. We are in an election year. Regardless of where you are, if you've listened to, have you listened to any of these debates? You know, the, somebody asks a question and the candidates don't answer the question that's asked. Have you not, none of you have noticed that. Well, this is going to make the sermon about two minutes longer, maybe. But I had a student when I was teaching once who had to answer a 30-point essay question for the New York State Regents, and he didn't have a clue. But he figured he should write something, so he wrote down on his paper, if you had asked the question you ought to have asked, this is what I would have answered. <laughs> and then he wrote it out. He got 15. We decided you know, it was very inventive. 15 out of 30. But anyway, if we focus on the government, on the candidates, on our international enemies like ISIS, on the sins of our neighbors, whatever they may be, we risk a serious mistake by looking at ourselves. And one of the grave dangers facing you and me right now is that we can convince ourselves that the sins we commit are our private matter and have nothing to do with God against whom those sins he is the chief 
recipient. But I wonder, do I understand the words intolerable or the phrase in the 28 prayer book, a miserable offender? Hmm. Well, as many of you know, C.S. Lewis is a favorite of mine and he often supplies answers. And he points out to me that on me, whether I feel miserable or not, whether I think my sins are intolerable or not, there yet remains a load which, if nothing is done about it, will send me from this world to whatever happens next, not as a soul, but as a broken soul. When I finally grasp this, when the words of the Great Litany or the General Confession or the Penitential Order cease to be just part of the service, when I use them for a longer look and remember that Christ crucified, Christ nailed to a cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God, then it's no Photoshop for me. Now let me close with a reference, perhaps not unlikely since some of you heard me when I spoke here on Les Miserables uh, about a year ago. Let me end with a reference to the choral spectacular at the end of that musical, at the end of act one of that musical. All the central characters are gathered on the stage. Valjean, Eponine, the Thenardiers, Javert, Marius, Cosette. And they sing this song, One Day More, Another Day, Another Destiny, This Never-Ending Road to Calvary. Tomorrow we'll discover what our God in heaven has in store. And so will you and I, as we journey toward Easter and beyond. And for me to choose Jesus Christ, to opt for his power and his love, defined by his cross and his passion, is to strip away deceit and embrace truth and acknowledge that it is solely he who is mighty to save, not some electronic device that erases my sins with a click of the thumb. Let me end with a question. How would you like to erase your sins? You, you're nodding your head, yeah? Okay. We'll have a talk about that later, Deb. Yeah, erase your sins with the click of a mouse. Well, it's already been done for you. It's already been done on Calvary. And if you and I really desire forgiveness, it's there. You can reach out 
and touch it. It's palpable. And believe me, I know. I was speaking with Justino between the services and just telling me about telling him about the first time I ever went to confession. And my wife had to work that night. And I came home from this mission at our church. And I had confessed face to face with my rector. And I walked in the door of our house and Susan took one look at me and she said, you've been to confession. Those burdens were taken up into the glory and the majesty and the power and the wonder and the eternal love of Almighty God. It's there for us. And once that is accomplished, I can surrender my rebellious will to his love and his word and advance toward his kingdom and his glory. If I confess my sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.